I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Today's scripture comes from Matthew 13, 31 through 33, and 44 through 52. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. 
And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out his treasure, what is who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of the most difficult things about believing in God is trying to talk about the God in which we believe. This is what our whole sermon series last time, what we talk about when we talk about God, that's what it was about. There are sometimes no words that feel right enough good enough, big enough to explain God. You, you rummage around for something to say about God, but everything sounds too vague or too pious, right? You, you, you could talk about how, how you feel, how your heart feels full to bursting sometimes, or about that mysterious sense of kinship you feel with other human beings. Or you could talk about how even the worst things that happen in your life have, have seemed to have some kind of hidden blessing tucked within them. But the truth is that it's impossible to talk directly about holy and heavenly things. How, how can the language of earth capture the reality of heaven? How can human beings speak of God? We don't do it well, that's for sure. But, but because we, we must somehow try to do it, we tend to talk about what we cannot talk about in terms of what we can talk about. That is, we tend to describe holy and heavenly things by talking about ordinary things and trusting that we will make the connections together. Believing in God is like, is like coming home, we say. Or it's like being born again. It's like jumping off the high dive. It's like getting struck by lightning. It's like falling in love. We, we cannot say what it is exactly, but we can say what it's like, and most of us get the message when we speak in those terms. As many of you know, I taught high school English in a previous life. It wasn't a life that long ago and if you if you still have your notes from high school English class you can probably find the section on figures of speech where this way of talking the way of talking about something by talking about what it is like talking about one thing by referring to another thing it's called metaphors and similes sometimes these comparisons are comfortable and familiar to us her eyes were as blue as the sky or as blue as a robin's egg. Her eyes were as blue as the sea. But other times, these comparisons are jarring and startling. Her, her eyes were as blue as a bruise, as blue as ink spilled on a white page, as blue as a wave just before it breaks. When the comparisons catch us by surprise, take our breath away, they, they make us stop. They make us think. How can these two things be alike? Like, what do they have in common? How deep does this connection go? When the comparisons catch us by surprise, our everyday understanding 
of things is like broken open and we're invited to explore them all over again, to go inside of them and to see what's new within them. And Jesus does this all the time. Jesus is known for this, especially in Matthew's gospel. Jesus is always making comparisons. He says sinners are like lost sheep and the, and the word of God is like seeds sown in different kinds of ground and the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast and God is like the owner of a vineyard. The kingdom of God is like this, Jesus says over and over and over again, telling his followers stories about brides and shepherds and weeds and pearls. Have you ever wondered why Jesus taught this way? Like, why didn't he just come out right and say what he meant if anyone in the world were qualified to speak directly about God? Surely it was Jesus. And yet he too spoke indirectly, making surprising comparisons between holy heavenly things and ordinary things and breaking open our everyday understanding of things and inviting us to explore them all over again. Which brings us to the passage that Abby just read for us, which Jesus launches this slew of such comparisons. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, he says, the kingdom of God is like yeast. It's like buried treasure. It's like a fine pearl. It's like a, a net cast into the sea. The images come to us so quickly, one right after the other with no, no preparation, no explanation from Jesus, no time for question and answers. It's not like Jesus to be in it's not like Jesus to be in such a rush. He's usually a better storyteller than this, right? Gathering his listeners around and, and sliding into this tale with those time-honored introductions like, there once was a landowner, or there once was a king, but he his followers will listen, but he doesn't do this this time. These six flashes of the kingdom come at us so quickly that there is not time for us to settle down and get ready for Jesus, the storyteller. Jesus zings us with them one, two, three, four, five, like snapshots, like scenes glimpsed through the windows of a fast-moving train. God's kingdom is like this and this and this, he says, it is almost like he doesn't want us to think too much about them. Like he doesn't want us to get stuck on any one in particular, but to be dazzled by the number and variety of the things the kingdom of God is like. Like this and like this and like this, Jesus says. The first two parables, the, the first two comparisons seem easy enough. God's kingdom is like a mustard seed or, or like a handful of yeast. Nothing much to look at. Not very impressive. At least not at first. But give either of them something to work on. Sow the seed, mix the yeast with flour. 
And the results can be astounding, right? A tree big enough for birds to nest in, bread enough to feed an entire family. If, if God's kingdom looks like a mustard seed or like yeast, then God's kingdom must be surprising. It must be, be something that's more than meets the eye. But then there's the next pair of comparisons, which are, which are much more difficult. First, God's kingdom is like a man who finds a buried treasure in a field and covers it back up and sells all he owns to buy that field. He, he is a poor man who becomes a rich man through luck. And then, and then second, the, God's kingdom is like a, a merchant who searches for and finds a pearl of great price and selling all he owns he buys it. He is a rich man who becomes a richer man through skill. It seems that whether rich or poor, skillful or, or just plain lucky, each man finds something of great value and sells all he has to make it his own. Each man finds something that makes everything else he owns trivial by comparison, and he does not think twice about trading it all in. If the kingdom is like that, then, then it is rare, but it is attainable for those who are not only willing but eager to pay the price. And, and then there's the, the comparison of God's kingdom and the fishing net which takes a, a different turn altogether. Thrown into the sea, the, the net gathers fish of every kind, good and bad, which are, are then sorted once the net is full. If the kingdom is like that, then it is not in the end something we find, but something that finds us. It hauls us into the light, into God's light. I mean, this is a lot to digest in one scripture, in one setting. It's a lot, but there is, there's one striking thing about all of these images. Did you catch it? What ties them all together? The one thing about all of these images is their essential hiddenness. The, the mustard seed hidden in the ground, the yeast hidden in the dough, the treasure hidden in the field, the, the pearl hidden among all the other pearls, the net hidden in the depths of the sea. If the kingdom is like these, then it is not something that boasts and brags and stands out, but rather something that is not readily apparent to the eye, something that must be searched for, something, something just below the surface of things waiting there to be discovered, to be claimed. These are the kinds of stories that always tantalize the human imagination, right? And make us want to share these kinds of stories on our news feeds. Like the, the retired school bus driver who takes up rock collecting all of a sudden and, and, and spends his weekends at the local flea market looking for interesting stones. 
He picks up this round one about the size of a walnut and he buys it and takes it home and he, he polishes it with his rock polishing kit and shows it to his friend who just so happens to be a jeweler, right? And his friend says to him, you know, the $1.50 you spent, that's, you just spent $1.50 for a 150 carat ruby. Or, or the poor single mother of two who is notified of her aunt's death in some far farther city. And so she buys a bus ticket with, with the money she has left over from groceries and goes to sort through her old aunt's things. And she's giving a wool coat away to Salvation Army when she feels something in the hymn and discovers a hundred dollar bills are sewn in the lining of this coat. Or, or a research librarian without an adventure bone in his body who is putting away old books and one of them falls apart in his hands and as he he's playing with all the, the stack of loose papers, this little yellowed piece of paper falls onto the floor from the ruined binding and he picks it up and he holds it up to the light and he finds himself staring at, at some ancient map of Shangri-La or, or the Fountain of Youth or King Solomon's Mines. These comparisons turn out to be the stuff of, that legends are made of. The sunken treasure, the secret knowledge, the long lost masterpiece gathering dust in the attic suddenly found and claimed and enjoyed amid lavish celebration. That is what the kingdom of the God is like, Jesus says. Whether it begins as this seed hidden in the ground or a treasure hidden in a field or the kingdom comes when it is no longer hidden but revealed, when the tree is fully grown, when the treasure chest is opened, when what is lost is found and what was secret is known and what was hidden away is brought forth for everyone to see. It's exciting stuff, right? But where do we begin? Without a treasure map? Without some distant aunt? Without finding a ruby? Where do we begin to find this hidden kingdom of God. I mean, all of these metaphors and similes are fine, right? All of these parables about seeds and yeast and, and nets are all real interesting. But when it comes right down to hunting for God's kingdom, where are we supposed to start? It seems like we, we ought to start someplace like like really holy, right? Someplace really extraordinary, like some medieval monastery maybe. Or translating ancient texts with biblical scholars or in the slums of Calcutta, bathing the sick and, and dying with Mother Teresa. Maybe, maybe we should begin in the Holy Land or the Vatican or the National Cathedral. Or then again, it, it may not matter where we are exactly, as long as we keep our eyes open for extraordinary clues right wherever we are, looking out for the heavenly visions, 
listening out for the heavenly voices because if the kingdom of God is hidden in this world, it's hidden really well and only the most dedicated detectives among us stand a chance at all of finding it. Unless, of course, God has resorted to the oldest trick in the book and hidden it in plain view all along. Unless there is the possibility, friends, that God decided to hide the kingdom of heaven not in any of the extraordinary places that treasure hunters would be sure to check, but in the last place that any of us would ever look, would ever think to look, namely in the the ordinary circumstances of our everyday lives, like a, like a silver spoon in, in the drawer with all the stainless spoons, the extraordinary hidden in the, in the ordinary, the kingdom of God all mixed up with the ho-hum of our everyday life, as easy to find as like an amaryllis bulb in the dark basement that suddenly sends forth a shoot or or like a child's smile when 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 he awakes from sleep or like a a thunderstorm after a long drought these kinds of signs of the holiness hidden in our regular ordinary days it seems that Jesus knew it all along why else would he talk about God and heaven in terms of farmers and fields and women baking bread and merchants buying and selling things and fishermen sorting fish? Unless he meant somehow that God's kingdom has to do with these things, that our treasure is buried not in some exotic far off place that requires a special map, not in some America made great, but that the X that marks the spot of the greatest treasure there ever was is right here, right now, in all the ordinary people and places and activities of our lives. If we, if we want to speak of godly, heavenly things, Jesus seems to say we may begin by speaking about earthly things. And if we want to describe that which is beyond all words... We may begin with words we know, words such as woman and man and field and grain and weeds and yeast and sea and fish and joy. The kingdom is like these things. The kingdom is found in these things, Jesus says. These are the places to dig for the kingdom. These are the places to look for the will and the rule and the presence of God. And if we cannot find them there, then we cannot find them anywhere at all. I offer this to you in the name of God the Father, in the name of Christ his Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we know that you are making yourself evident to us in the ordinary, in the everyday stories and places and people of this life. 
we do not have to look for you in, in the big and the bright, the lavish, the loud. But your kingdom is found in the quiet places, in the hidden spaces, in the unexpected moments. Honestly, God, we would prefer for you to be in the extraordinary. Because it wouldn't require as much of us to pay attention. You would just enter our lives and we would be forced to pay attention with the loud blast and the big moments. But when you're in the ordinary, when you're in the hidden, God, it requires us to get quiet. It requires us to zoom in. It's re it requires us to feast and, and make sense and find and search and seek out where you are to ask questions of where you are, God, to constantly Ask over and over again, where is God in this? We would prefer not to ask that question. We would prefer for you to be so obvious sitting next to us on the couch, but that is not, it's not the God of Jesus Christ. For God, you did not come in a king. You came in a baby in the most unexpected hidden place, not in the big city, but in the most unexpected hidden town to reveal yourself to us. This is who you are. This is how you work. And so we lean into your lessons of the kingdom, God, not that your kingdom is on fire, ablaze, floating down a river like a, a dumpster fire but that your, your kingdom is, is hidden, tucked away in the most vulnerable moments of our lives, in the simple everyday moments of our lives, and in the simple everyday people we encounter, the stories we hear, stories of of just getting by, stories of, of oppression, stories of injustice. God, teach us to not forsake those stories for the extraordinary, but to listen into them because that's where we will find you. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. There is peace
at the table.